0: you're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com good morning church family
1: it's before there I think sorry I messed it up
0: Today's reading is from Psalm 82. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. A Psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Salah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
1: All right, let's pray as we dig into this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and speaking to us, and God, we do confess that we need to see things from your vantage point. So often we, we see what goes on in the world, we see evil in us and around us, and God, we confess we, we often don't turn to the hope that we find in you. We don't turn to your promises that you will judge the earth. Help us today to do that, to be people who really do hope in you and trust in you in deeper and deeper ways, and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Anyone know who this is? No, it's not a hipster, uh, although that's a pretty great beard, isn't it? It's not the brewmaster down at Elysian, you know. <laughs> it's not the longshoreman down at the docks. It's not the lead singer of your favorite heavy metal band. No, this is King Leopold II of Belgium. So this is like late 1800s, early 1900s. I don't know when this picture was taken exactly. And this guy uh, ruled in Belgium. He was, he was one who thought that the only way to make Belgium great was to acquire other nations. And so he created this colony uh, called the Congo, ironically, Free State, and basically enslaved its people. And he went into Africa with tens of thousands of Belgian soldiers, and he did it under the guise of what he would have called like a Christian or humanitarian organization named the International African Association, and because of that front that he put up in, in, in front of all of it, uh, there were leaders in Belgium who he was somewhat accountable to. They ended up being complicit in all of his affairs there in Belgium. But they weren't the only ones. There were 14 different countries across Europe and, and even including America that agreed that he was free to rule Congo with his own private militia, basically. And due to the suffering under his unjust rule, many, many, many people died. At the end of King Leopold's life, it's estimated that the population of Congo may have dropped by up to 50% from when he had arrived there. From perhaps 20 million people to only 10 million at the end. Just think about that. Staggering numbers. 10 million image bearers of God dead because of him. It's hard to even fathom. And yet that number is nothing when we compare it to Hitler and Stalin and and Chairman Mao, right? Between the three of them, some historians estimate a combined total of 100 million people lost their lives under their oppressive leadership. And we know, of course, that that's not just history, right? There, there are unjust rulers across the globe today, and they have a ton of power. A quick look at news headlines, for example, from Sri Lanka to Haiti to Ethiopia to Afghanistan to Ukraine, even some in our own country. This reveals just how much suffering and devastation can be caused when unjust people have a lot of power. And injustice is not something that's limited to governments, right, to to politicians. We know that unjust power, unjust leadership trickles all the way down to employers, right, to pastors, amen, to parents even. See, people in all spheres of life are using their power to oppress rather than to bless. But Psalm 82 shows us that they're not working alone. They're not working alone. Behind all evil human powers are evil spiritual powers. And Psalm 82 shows us that they won't get away with injustice forever. It brings us up into God's heavenly court where spiritual beings are put on trial along with earthly rulers who are working along with them. And when evil appears all around us to be winning, when we see like warmongers and drug lords and child abusers and active shooters, and and they're succeeding in all that they're doing, we need to know that God will make it right in the end. And so the big idea with Psalm 82 is when injustice seems to triumph, remember, God will judge the earth. He will. So let's get that truth of this big idea into our hearts. The psalm, it's laid out like a trial, okay? So just picture, I don't know if you guys have seen Judge Judy or the People's Court or whatever, (laughs) Maybe some of you are actually in law and you have a real idea of what uh, justice looks like in our country. But that sort of picture is the one that we want to have. And I'm going to lay it out that way as we look at it. The plaintiffs is where we will begin. Uh, This was in verse 1a. God has taken his place in the divine council, it said. But who the heck is the divine council, right? Amen? Is anybody else asking that question? That's the question. That I was asking. And before we can answer that specifically, we have to answer it categorically, okay? Here's what I mean. The Bible talks about two categories of beings that God created in order to share his rule. He's shared it with spiritual beings, and he's shared it with human beings, And and I'm getting a lot of this from the Bible Project. Some of you guys enjoy what they do, and I do as well. I'm going to give you some visuals that I've taken from them in order to share that. If you want to pull that divine counsel slide up really quick. Do we have that one? Maybe we lost it since this morning. Okay, we lost it. Never mind. That's okay. No big deal. So I'm just going to describe it to you, okay? Describe the the ways that these two categories work. So spiritual beings were put in charge of the heavens, right? And human beings were put in charge of the earth. That's the creation mandate we see in Genesis 1. There we go. We're almost there. There we go. Perfect. So divine counsel. And then the next one, we see a picture of heaven and earth kind of intersecting, right? Maybe. I'm not going to worry about that. Okay. So spiritual beings and, and human beings, spiritual beings over heaven, human beings over the earth. And in the Bible, the, when, when it talks about the heavens, they're not merely a, a realm. The heavens are also thought to be the physical space up there. So the writers of of the Bible are looking at the world around them and looking up into the sky and they're trying to make sense of it as God is revealing things to them. And, And that's the way they saw it. So the earth, the rule of the earth is down here. The rule of the heavens is up there. That's what the spiritual beings do. And just as human beings were given bodies, spiritual beings were also given bodies celestial bodies like the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky and as i say that some of you guys are going well hold on are you saying that the sun is a spiritual being and the answer is no no but again we have to remember the context of where these stories were written in scripture and the way that they saw their cosmology right and and the people who were around in the times and the places when the bible was written they were trying to make sense of these things And they looked at what was going on up there in the sky, and they saw how things were correlating to things on earth. And so when we see their correlation between spiritual beings and celestial bodies, we can take that to be representative or symbolic today, okay? So it's a great opportunity for us Western modern people to use our imaginations and understand that there's more going on than what we can see tangibly in front of us. We can look up into the sky and understand some ways that spiritual beings are active. And you might ask, okay, well, spiritual beings, are they good? Or are, they, are they evil? And the answer is they're both good and some are also evil. There are both. Like humans, God created spiritual beings good, but while all human beings, Rebelled. Only some spiritual beings rebelled. They fell from their created glory. And the last thing I want to say is that as human beings, uh, human beings and spiritual beings will both one day experience God's judgment. So these are some of the ways that they're similar and some that they're different. Now, coming back to the divine council, remember they're the plaintiffs. If the divine council are spiritual beings, What sort of spiritual beings are they? You know, in the Bible, they're sometimes called the heavenly host or the host of heaven. And and one Bible dictionary says they're the assembly of divine beings who administer the affairs of the cosmos under Yahweh, the God of Israel. So put in very simple terms, the way the Bible Project talks about it, it says that the divine council is God's heavenly staff team, okay? (laughs) Which makes me think of like, they're they're kind of like God's cabinet officers or something, to put it into American uh, governmental terms. And they're there because even though God can rule all of the universe by himself, he wants to share his authority with created beings, and here we're told that God has now taken his place among them, among the divine counsel. In other words, God has taken the stand, and he's presiding over the court, okay? So then who is on trial? Who are the defendants in this story? Verse 1b told us, in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. So who are the defendants the gods, okay, and and you might be like, okay, well, who the heck are the gods, right? Who the heck are the divine council? Who the heck are the gods? Um, and you might also be thinking, well, hold on, I thought we were monotheists. How does the Bible talk about gods? Like there are multiple gods. You might have even been thinking that when we talked about a divine council. Like that's pushing it, right? There's only one God, and yes, we are monotheists. Yes, we do believe in one God in three persons: Father, Son. Spirit, just like we talked and sang about earlier on in our service, and we believe that there is one eternal Creator, that one God who existed before anything else and has all ultimate authority over everything that He has made. But in order to distinguish Him between these little g gods, uh, we'll take we'll borrow from verse six later, where it calls God the Most High God. So th- that's the difference here. You got one God who's the ultimate creator of everything. You got a bunch of little g gods who are spiritual beings. Later, they're actually called sons of the Most High in verse 6. And these, these gods, they're, they're spiritual beings just like the divine council. But these spiritual beings that are defend, the defendants that are on trial here, they are the ones who rebelled. Not all of the sons of God in Scripture are rebellious, but these are the ones that did. They didn't want to work with God. They wanted to be God. And so these, these lowercase g gods, they try to usurp His authority and steal His glory. They want to deceive human beings into worshiping them instead of the Most High God. And the Apostle Paul tells us that these lowercase g gods, they're actually demons. So, the idols of the nations, as the Bible talks about them, they're actually demons, Paul says. And these are the ones who are on trial. These are the ones who the Most High God is going to address, okay? Which leads us to the charges. That's what's next. Verses 2 through 4 said, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Selah, we think, is a liturgical term to pause. That's why Kirsten paused there earlier. She read it. It's the time of reflection. How long? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak. And the fatherless, maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. So, what are the charges? What, what are the gods being accused of here? They're being accused of, verse 2, judging unjustly. How so? By showing partiality to the wicked. So, rather than protecting those who are weak, Rather than protecting those who are orphaned, who are afflicted, who are destitute, these gods are ruling in favor of those who oppress and exploit the vulnerable. Now, there are many Christians who would say that these gods aren't gods at all, that these are actually human powers, because a lot of what's being described here makes sense. These kind of seem like human activities, right? But at the same time, that's kind of a weird interpretation. Uh, It's kind of a weird way of understanding this word God. Why would would it use the word God, uh, which is literally the exact same word that's used for the most high God in verse 1, for the capital G God, and so in some sense, we have to know, yes, these are definitely fallen spiritual beings that we mentioned a moment ago, but we also know that these rebellious spiritual beings, they've left their heavenly domain, they've come down to earth, and they've deceived humans to worship them. And so in some sense, this indictment, these charges, are probably against both the unjust spiritual beings and the unjust human beings who work with them. What does it look like when humans worship gods instead of the Most High God? The psalm tells us it looks like injustice. It looks like injustice. And, and so we have to remember that justice is always a worship issue. It's always a worship issue. So taking a stand with God is taking a stand for justice. Can I get an amen? You guys are welcome to just give me some amens, everyone. So taking a stand with God is taking a stand for justice. Taking a stand for injustice or partiality or wickedness is taking a stand with these little g-gods, these evil spiritual beings. This is worshiping them. This is idolatry. Or perhaps another helpful way of thinking about this is thinking about it within the framework of power. We live in a culture that's really trying to dismantle power. It's trying to uh, present a worldview that says that power is always evil. That's not the worldview that the Bible teaches. In fact, the Bible says all human beings have power. We share God's rule with him, right? Right? God has given us this ability, this agency to rule under him, rule with him, and rule for him. Now, some people might have more power than others, for sure, but we all have some power. The question is, what will we do with it? Will we use that power to bless, or will we use that power to oppress I'll give you some examples. Uh, whether someone is a boss or you know, a manager or you know, a CEO of a company, those of them who use their power to bless, they seek to use that to help further good on earth and, and really to help each of one of their employees thrive. Even when that doesn't equate to more money, Even when uh, the bottom line is actually affected by them using that power to bless. But bosses that use their power to oppress, they take advantage of others for their own gain. Whether that's a personal gain like a promotion. Uh, Whether that's just seeking to get the dollars to, to look better so it's a money thing. Whether that's their own achievements or accomplishments And sometimes employees under oppressive bosses can experience very severe risk physically, very severe harm, or or even in some cases, not as often in the US, but overseas especially, they can even experience death due to unjust leadership. Now, you may have been one of those bosses, who has used your power to oppress. Or you may have been under one of those bosses who has used their power to oppress. How about, or maybe, maybe you've been under a boss that used their power to bless, and you know what it's like to experience that flourishing and just the benefits of someone using their power in the way that God has intended. Another example, pastors. Pastors have a lot of power, amen? Amen. Uh, and, and pastors that use their power to bless, use it to empower their churches, use it to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that the whole body of Christ is built up into its head so that we look more and more and more and we are more and more like Jesus. That's beautiful, amen? It's incredible when pastors use their power to bless but pastors also use their power to oppress. And, and we've seen this in all sorts of different ways, whether that be similar to the ways that we talked about with bosses, where pastors use their congregations for their own ends, their own achievements, for financial gain. But even pastors using their, their power for sexual abuse, for spiritual abuse, pastors are given a great degree of trust and power because of the fact that people are placing their trust in these people. I, I, I got to be honest, I do this job with joy, but I do it with fear and trembling because I know how tempting it can be for people to be a pastor and to take advantage of the power that we have. I hope and I pray By God's grace and by your help, I can remain a blessing in in using my power. But as pastors use their power for spiritual abuse, that can have devastating consequences. Amen? We've seen it uh, before. We see it across our country especially. This is a common problem. You may have experienced it yourself but you may have also experienced what it's like. I hope at Trinity you experience what it's like to be under a pastor that blesses. Last example. Parents can use their power to bless, and they can can use it in that way. They they seek to help each one of their children know God and live for God. So that child is able to experience that abundant life that God has on offer, right? Right? even if it comes at a significant cost to the parent, which, it, of course, we all know is, if you're a parent, you know that it will. It will come at a significant cost. But it's worth doing, and it's a joy. Conversely, parents that use their power to oppress, they actually exploit the vulnerability of their children. They abuse them. That could be verbally, physically, sexually, And a more subtle version of that kind of oppression is when parents treat their children as their servants. Their kids actually, in their minds, exist to fulfill their own wishes, their own desires. You see this happen in all kinds of smaller ways, parents seeking to achieve something vicariously through their children. So now all their hopes and their dreams are wrapped up in their kids' accomplishments. They've got to get into that school. They've got to get on that sports team. They've got to get those grades. They've got to get that career. Maybe you've experienced uh, parenting that was mainly a blessing to you. Maybe you've experienced parenting that was oppressive to you last thing I want to talk about when it comes to power. What about those who have very little power? Every person we said has, has some power, but what about those who have very little? Even if you have very little power, you can defend the cause of those who have less than you, which is a great way to worship God with your power. It's, it's a great way to give away your power. And you know what, you do justice in the process. That's the beauty of all of it. When you worship God with your power. I'll give you some examples just from within our own church family. uh, we, We were able to give generously, give financially generously to other ministries, people who are doing good work, right? We've had a lot of great opportunities to do that, and you guys have been so generous, stepping up to the plate. And we can give generously, even if we don't have a lot of money, even if we don't have a lot of the power that comes from having a lot of money. We can be generous and use that for good. Uh, we can house refugees, right? We we we've been partnering with our church friends over in Latvia. Carlos and his family have been here in in the states now for a little bit, but. A few months ago, we partnered with his church and we were able to help them as they are working hard to house Ukrainian refugees. It's an amazing way of using power, it doesn't take much, it just takes enough. Uh, Serving with organizations who are doing great work is a great way to use your power to bless. We have people right now in the Dominican Republic serving with children of the nations, it's a tremendous blessing. Uh, that they're able to do by being there with an organization who's doing great work. They've been there for 25 years, and it shows. And that organization is an organization that seeks to bless. They seek to empower and, and raise up generations of people in their own nations so that they can be leaders. That's what we're talking about. Or people in our church family who are serving with Union Gospel Mission, whether that's with our Halfway House, with Renovo, or uh, those who are doing search and rescue and helping people get out of a life of homelessness that way. Or people within our own church. I talked to somebody uh, last Sunday who recently, they're they're exploring whether they want to make Trinity their church home, and they've moved here from out of state in order to work with uh, REST. Real escape from the sex trade. And we've worked with rest before. When Talia was here, she moved away a year ago. And so we've kind of gotten disconnected with them. And I was excited when I talked to this person. I said, it'd be great if you could help us get reconnected with rest. These are all great ways to use whatever power we might have in order to bless. And when you act on God's behalf to carry out justice here on earth, what I want you to see through this psalm, is that you're actually doing a form of spiritual warfare. You're acting in direct opposition to these lowercase g gods. And in a sense, you're joining with God. You're standing with God as he casts judgment on them and as he rebukes them as he does here. And so let's look at now... The testimony, I kind of picture this being the divine counsel standing up and pointing their finger as the testimony happens. Verse 5 said, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. The greater the power, the greater the impact. The more power you have and the more that you use it for good, the more good you can do. But the same is true when, evil, when an evil person has power. The more that they have, the more harm they can do. And I think that's what this is describing here. I think this is describing what it's like to live under unjust power. Again, picturing the divine counsel kind of sharing testimony saying this is all all these horrible consequences of the oppressive rule of these lowercase g-gods. And when you're misgoverned or when you are misled, it's kind of like this describes. Walking around in darkness, you, you have a lack of light, you have a lack of a moral compass guiding you into the ways of God. This is what it's like to live under unjust rule. So much so That it says, the foundations of the earth are shaken. In other words, the world falls apart from injustice. So what can be done? What can be done? We've said that uh, doing justice is an act of worship and therefore spiritual warfare. That is some of what can be done. But if we're honest, we look around us and we see that there's just way more wickedness in us and in the world than can possibly be addressed by simply just doing more. We should do more, but something else needs to happen. Earlier in verse 2, the Most High God asked a, a question, he said, how long will the Gods judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked. And in case it wasn't clear, that was a rhetorical question, right? That wasn't an actual question. Because God knows how long. God knows how long. These unjust rulers will go on judging unjustly until he puts an end to it. Until he destroys them. Which is what brings us now to the final piece And that is the sentence. I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. And I like the way that the NIV translates that last verse. But you will die like mere mortals. You will fall like every other ruler. All of us would like to see the future, right? All of us would like to see the future. And since you just heard me read this, now you have. You've seen the future. You have seen the future. Evil spiritual beings and evil human beings will not go on wreaking havoc on earth forever. Can we get an amen Amen. to that truth? That is a beautiful truth. There is a day that is appointed for them to meet their maker. And when they do... They will meet their end. That's what this is telling us. They will meet their end. This is a promise of the eventual demise of evil spiritual beings. And the psalm then ends with a prayer for that to happen. Here's what it says. And this is a good prayer to memorize and for us to pray on a regular basis. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And you might be going, okay, what, hold on, where, where do we get the nations from here? Well, remember, at the time that this was written, the nation of Israel was the only nation on earth that was under the, the, the protection and the redemption and the lordship of the Most High God. Every other nation had their own gods. They were the, worshiping these lowercase g gods that are on trial here. And so part of God's judgment isn't just uh, removing these evil powers. Part of God's judgment is uniting the nations under himself. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus, we see all of this taking shape. And so this prayer It's a prayer that's full of confidence. It's full of hope. There's no question whether God can judge the earth and take it back from the evil powers. There's no question whether God will judge the earth and take it back from the evil powers. The question is, when? When? And we still pray this prayer. We, along with Israel, we wait, we yearn, we pray. Because this prayer is actually a prayer for the Messiah to come and rule on God's behalf. It's a prayer for Jesus. It's it, The waiting and the yearning and the praying, it's, it's all for Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God who rules as God intends. Jesus is the Son of God who judges justly. Jesus is the Son of God who gives justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Jesus is the son of God who maintains the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Jesus is the son of God who rescues the weak and the needy including us, friends, including sinners like ourselves. Jesus is the son of God who delivers us from the hand of the wicked. Jesus is the son of God who is already come. And he's already disarmed, the Bible says, the rulers and the authorities. In other words, these lowercase g-gods. He's disarmed them. And he's put them to open shame by triumphing over them on the cross. Can I get an amen to that? He began this work that Psalm 82 is calling for. And God began it in Jesus. And it will be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus As well, because Jesus is the Son of God who will return and He will judge the earth and He will put a final end to evil and He will inherit all the nations where everybody from every culture, class, country, and color on earth will come together under His Lordship and rule and worship Him forever. Doesn't that sound incredible? When injustice seems to triumph, remember God will judge the earth. That's that big idea. I want you to take that home with you. Get that truth into your heart. And, and maybe to help process through that a little bit uh, would be a question that you can either ask as a reflection question or discuss with some friends or family, or if you have a community group this summer that's meeting, this is a great one to ask. What is one injustice you've uh, observed or experienced and need to remember God will judge. Let's pray and let's continue to respond to God. Father God, what tremendous hope this psalm gives us that we know that you have already begun this work of judgment that you judged sin on the cross of Jesus so that all of us who are sinners can come to him for redemption and be freed from the bondage of sin, be delivered We don't need to fear the day of judgment because of that. Thank you, God, for that truth. And thank you that these evil rulers, these lowercase g gods, these evil spirits have already been disarmed of their power. And we pray, God, that we would not only celebrate that, but that we would get to enjoy the fruits of that as we live for you and your justice rather than for them and their injustice. Help us, God, to be people who not only hope in you, but then in the meantime, live to use our power to bless others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.